This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to The Twilight Show. The topic of the show today is teaching, creativity, and social justice. And I'm joined by a very special guest, Nick Bilbra, teacher, trainer, ELT author, storyteller, and founder and creative director at the Hands Up Project, whose activities include telling stories and supporting the English language development online for young learners, mostly in Palestine. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham Stanley, speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Nick Bilbra, whose activities in the world of education lie at the intersection between teaching, training, creativity, drama, storytelling, and social justice. Now, Nick founded the Hands Up Project in 2015. It's an organization committed to social justice, global citizenship, and freedom of expression, and upholds the belief that language learning is enhanced through creativity, performance, and collaborative interaction. The vision of the project is to give opportunities for children in difficult circumstances, such as Palestine, to use English to communicate with one another across borders in a spirit of peace, dignity, tolerance, freedom, equality and solidarity, which comes from the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child from 1989. Now, my guest has taught and trained language teachers in many diverse contexts in Africa, the Middle East, South America and Europe, and is now self-employed and lives in Totnes in beautiful Devon in the UK. And I'll be talking to Nick about all of this and more after the Teachers Talk radio news. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio news the telegraph reported this week on calls from some academics for schools to ban smartphones the article refers to devices as extremely dangerous over fears that they damage cognitive ability the research by academics in australia suggests that phones can be hazardous to children 
as they have a negative effect on learning, social skills and mental health. Dr. Mark Williams, an honorary professor of cognitive neuroscience at Macquarie University in Sydney, is quoted as saying that having a phone in a pocket or bag decreases working memory capacity and that this means children don't learn as well. He goes on to say that there are zero benefits to smartphones in school. Dr. Williams went on to add that other research studies have shown that smartphones also link to causes of depression, anxiety and body dysmorphia. In Spain, phones have been banned from schools in some regions since 2015. University of Valencia academics found that pupils' test scores in some core subjects improved. In the USA, researchers at an Ohio hospital found that screen time led to lower brain functioning, and a study in Malaysia published in 2020 found that the presence of a smartphone decreased the ability of undergraduates to accurately recall information. The current Department for Education and Advice in England is that head teachers are best placed to make decisions about phones and their use in school. The value of learning a foreign language is often discussed in schools, but in Germany there have been calls for primary schools to scrap English lessons. The president of the German Teachers Association has said that schools should focus on German reading and maths instead. His remarks come as German students scored lower than their peers in other countries in the International Primary School Reading Survey. Heinz-Peter Meidinger told German broadcasters that focusing on English was a wrong priority and that more attention should be paid to reading skills, writing skills and arithmetic. The BBC reports that MPs have launched an inquiry into Ofsted school inspections looking at how useful they are to parents, governors and schools in England. Education Select Committee Chairman Robin Walker said Ofsted had an important role, but that there had been a groundswell of criticism in recent months. Ofsted itself has said it welcomed the inquiry, but that it had already made changes. MPs will consider how inspections affect the workload and well-being of school staff and pupils and what contribution its reports make to helping schools improve. The issues likely to be discussed are the current system of awarding one overall grade to a school, and whether it is right to deem a school inadequate if inspectors raise concerns about child welfare. Parents, school governors, teachers and unions will be able to submit evidence alongside the government and Ofsted itself. Ofsted have already made changes, particularly to the complaints process, but the NAHT's Paul Whiteman said the changes didn't go far enough. Finally, in the West Midlands, the BBC reports that a 91-year-old former teacher is helping children develop their literacy skills from a living room. Diane Idols has five pupils she reads with over an online platform aimed at helping children progress with reading. She said the volunteering work had filled a huge hole in her life after the death of her husband. Mrs Idols volunteers through the Bookmark Reading Charity, which matches trained volunteers with primary children struggling with reading. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to answer the question we all want to know. What 
is the best presentation software? I do promise to give you an answer this week after leaving you on a cliffhanger, but First, a quick recap for those who missed last week or fast-forwarded me. Considering most lessons delivered in a classroom contain some sort of presentation, it's possible that our students are facing up to a thousand presentations a year. This isn't a bad thing as we are presenting information and that's what the software is designed to do. However, like a display you spend ages on, how long does it take before it stops being noticed? Do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or do they know how to look like they are listening? Don't worry, there is there's no way I'm going to mention slants here if you were thinking that is where I was going next. The answer is there is no best presentation software. As I've already mentioned, there are lots of free and paid for presentation apps out there. The key to success is which one do you choose? This is where a lot of people go wrong. They ask someone else's opinion. What works for one may not work for another. The choice you make depends on two key words, purpose and audience. When you choose the method of presentation for a lesson, you need to be thinking about the best way to grab focus. In the end, our job is to encourage long-term remembering. So if the lesson is about remembering short text-based facts and you have powerful images that back up what you're saying, a looping PowerPoint presentation or equivalent may do the job. Do you want to embed a lot of web links and videos? Why not take a look at Wakelet, a free way to collect web links together and share them. You can present with it and then hand the link off for self-discovery. Most app developers today aim to make their apps intuitive. So changing things around shouldn't be too hard for you to get to grips with. And you may just find engagement rises. And in the end, that's what it's all about. What do you do to engage pupils? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, welcome back everyone and welcome in particular to Nick Bulber, my special guest today. Hello Nick, are you there? How are you? I am Graham, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm very well. Um, I've just come back from a, a beautiful swim in um, in a river on Dartmoor National Park. So uh, it's a been a beautiful day in the UK. So, Fantastic. Uh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. Was it not too cold? I mean, I know, I know it's summertime in the UK, but still, the rivers in the UK. Well, I'm a bit of a. I love cold water. I've got right. onto this into this craze that everybody seems to have done in the UK, the sort of cold water swimming. So right. I swim in the river all year round. So it's actually wow. a bit too warm for me this time of year, <laughs> and also a few too many people. Oh right, of course, yeah, um, yeah, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I'm envious, I think. I would love to go for a swim. It's something I miss. Uh, I haven't really found anywhere in Mexico City to, to go swimming. I'm sure there are some places, but probably indoor swimming you're pools. Quite, you're quite a long way from the sea, are you there? Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah, of hours. Yeah. Right, but anyway, yeah, yeah. so thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's great to catch up with you. I think the last time we uh, we spoke was during the pandemic when you very kindly um, did a, a recording with some tips about remote teaching for the uh, IETFL Learning Technologies SIG newsletter that I was doing then. So it's great to, to be able to speak to you again since then. My pleasure, Graham, my pleasure. So Nick, the, the first thing I'd love to ask you is, it's a question I usually ask uh, my guests, and that is, how did you get involved with education, with teaching? Well, like many people in ELT, I came about, I got into it in a kind of roundabout way. 
mm-hmm. um, actually left school and went and worked on a farm in Denmark. Oh. Um, originally, I was planning to go to agricultural college and I did my year's practical experience on a farm. Um, I never went to agricultural college, but I en- ended up um, staying in Denmark and traveling a lot uh, in different countries and working in different areas. Um, and then uh, I ended up somehow studying drama in Danish um, oh, wow. at, uh, at, at a drama school in Denmark. And like perhaps many people um, in ELT, I I met a girl and I fell in love and she was from another country. She was from Japan and I went to Japan and that's how I got involved in teaching English as a foreign language. Um, in those days, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you could basically just walk down the street. I mean, I was living in, you know, it was very easy to find a job as a teacher in those days. So that's how I ended up teaching English in Japan uh, without any qualifications or anything at that time. Wow. That's quite a, quite a journey you've been on. So what, what was it about agriculture that appealed to you um, when you left school? Well, I, Grew up in a in a in a rural area. I grew up in Gloucestershire. Um, my grandparents had a farm, and I always enjoyed working on the farm when I was when I was younger. Um, and uh, just sort of felt it was a nice thing to do to be outside to work with animals and that kind of thing. So I'm obviously doing something very very different from that now. Um, and. It was a big change for me to go to a, a drama college, um, mm. but I, that's where really I got the interest in drama and language learning because I had, it, I had the experience firsthand of being a learner of Danish and having to act and to improvise in Danish, which obviously isn't my first language, but just finding that it was a really good way to improve my language. I thought I could speak really good Danish before I went to drama right. college. And I realized that uh, I w- there was a long way to go. And, and also that it was a very good way of improving my language skills. Wonderful. So that's when you made the connection between uh, performance, drama, creativity and language learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really quite interesting having to, um, I mean, two, two things. I've always felt that, that, um, drama was a very useful tool for learning a language. And I think it's useful in two ways. Firstly, because they have the sort of, you have the sort of controlled aspect of language learning, like learning Mm. the lines of a script and having to get it right. But there's also all the other side of drama, which, of course, is, you know, improvisation and being spontaneous and that kind of thing. And that's also a very important part of learning a language, I think. So, yeah, that's where my interest in in drama and language learning started. Um, Wow. uh, Yeah. Um, and the, the storytelling came from that, did it? Because, you know, there's a connection, isn't there, I, I suppose, between storytelling and drama as well. Yeah. I mean, I first started 
teaching as I said when I sort of I sort of fell into it when I went to Japan I, I went to follow um, my girlfriend I went to see my girlfriend at that time um, she lived in the south of Japan um, and it very quickly didn't work out properly the relationship oh. and I actually ended up moving right up to the north of Japan <laughs> uh, to Hokkaido uh, to a very rural area and I got a job um, teaching in a number of different schools. As I said, I didn't have any qualifications whatsoever in teaching at that time. But one of the places I worked was an agricultural college uh, in rural Japan. And I was teaching English to huge groups of 18, 19 year old boys, mostly. Um, who were not interested in learning English in, in any way whatsoever. There were 60 students in a class. And I always remember that I came into the class and everybody would be kind of slumped over their desks, right. um, completely not interested in, in learning. And it was very, I can remember it was really disconcerting as a new teacher without any experience or qualifications having to try and, teach English to this group and I think that that was a moment when I realized that perhaps working through the exercises in the course book wasn't going to motivate these mm -hmm. these young young boys and young men and uh, I think I did that that's where the interest in kind of creativity and also learner-centeredness started so I can remember mm -hmm. saying Perhaps on maybe the first day, I remember saying to the group, um, do you like English music? And would you like to, if so, would you like to bring in um, a tape? In those days, it was cassette tapes. Would you like to bring yeah. in a tape and give it to me? And I'll try and plan a lesson around this tape, uh, around the song. Um, and <laughs> it made me laugh because um, the next day, one of the boys turned up with a cassette of um, the Motley Crew. All right. <laughs> and I don't know if you know the Motley Crew, but they're an American Tickly. heavy metal band. Um, so I took it home with me that night and tried to think how I could plan a lesson, but I realised I couldn't actually understand a word that was being sung. So <laughs> I quickly dropped that idea. But what did work with that group was um, using using drama in a very simple way, just kind of creating simple role play, scripted role plays that they could perform, often quite silly situations in restaurants and things like that, and getting them to perform them. And I was amazed that somehow they rose to that challenge and they enjoyed getting up and performing these role plays, these dialogues, in front of their classmates, classmates, and it somehow it seemed to kind of bring the class to life. So, um, yeah, that's where it, that's where it kind of started. That interest in in creativity and learning, and particularly drama and language learning. Wonderful. I I find it really interesting as well that you it was an agricultural college in yeah. in yeah. Japan, or was that yeah. something you you actually sought out? Or no, it just no, it's just, it was pure coincidence. It was just, I, you know, I was, I, I just took any work that I 
I could I could get, and that was just what was offered to me. So, okay, yeah, great. And how long were you in Japan for? Uh, just a year. Um, all right. But I I sort of felt, oh, this is something I'd like to do more of. So I get I went back to the UK and and um, got more qualified. Got you know did what was called the uh, what was it called in those days before the CELTA? I think it was called something like the CTEFL qualification. Ah, uh, yes, that's you right. Know, I that's, did that. That's what and, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, since then, that's what I've done with my life. Really, worked in the, in this field. Um, oh, wonderful! So, yeah. And um, you also have been very much involved in training teachers and in training teachers to do this type of training teachers and using drama and creativity and storytelling, haven't you? Uh, yeah, helping them yeah. make their classrooms more creative, creative. How did you get involved in that? Or was it a natural progression from teaching to that? Um, well, I used to work on, on TEFL courses, training teachers there. Mm -hmm. um, but, I suppose, in a way, the big change was when I started to be invited by the British Council to go to places and do training sessions on things. And the first time I went to Palestine was um, ooh, in about 2014 or something like right. that. And I was invited to go and train some teachers in storytelling. Okay. Storytelling techniques. And and, and that's really, um, I think that's one of the key things that I've tried to do in my training is, one, to help teachers to become storytellers. Mm -hmm. And when I say storytelling, I don't mean, you know, kind of storytelling with a waistcoat and a, a bowl yeah. and, a, you know, I think storytelling is such a, a natural thing to do. And it's a natural progression to, to make it part of the classroom. I mean, Mario Rinvalucri famously said, storytelling is the oldest language teaching technique in existence. Um, uh, yes, or the course. oldest teaching technique in, in existence. Um, mm. So I've always um, tried to support teachers in becoming storytellers and using storytelling in their teaching. And the other thing I think I've tried to do with varying degrees of success is support teachers in becoming less accuracy focused. Mm -hmm. And because I think, you know, in, in I'm, I mean, I'm sure that you've had similar experiences working in many different contexts around the world where accuracy is so much focused on over focused on in my mm. opinion mm -hmm. and this i think has detrimental effects on the confidence of learners and on their ability to be creative um because mm -hmm. you know if you've got a teacher constantly correcting them on, on 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 their utterances it can lead to a real lack of motivation it can inhibit communication as well can't it Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've really tried to, to kind of emphasize that. And it's not always easy because mm -hmm. most countries in the world still have 
an exam system which is based on accuracy, entirely based on accuracy. You know, not many countries in the world have speaking exams. Not many countries in the world value um, content over accuracy in terms right. of writing. It's so, interesting, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And... Um, um, Nick, to go to go back a little bit to the storytelling and when you encourage teachers to become storytellers, could you tell us a little bit about how you approach that? What is it the kind of fundamentals for helping teachers become storytellers? Well, I think having a having a bank of stories is a good mm -hmm. starting point that you know you can fall back on. Um, so I wrote a book for the British Council, for British Council of Palestine called Stories Alive, mm -hmm. which contains 10 simple stories that can be retold. And it also tells, it also includes activities that can be done. That's a free to download um, resource for anyone right. anywhere in the world. Um, and so, so that's one thing. I think, I think just the belief that I mean, if we're talking about contexts where students don't have many opportunities to travel, they don't have many opportunities mm -hmm. to use English naturally outside the classroom, the teacher's voice is so important. And I just think, you know, in of, often that might be the only time that learners hear English being used by the right. teacher, being used naturally. Um and it's good if the teacher isn't just talking about the present perfect continuous, but the teacher is also exposing the learners to natural language. And a very good way of doing that is through storytelling. And do you encourage teachers to use fiction in their stories or, or fact or a combination of both? I think it, it really comes down to the, the teacher. I think a combination of both is great. I mean, I think just telling students about what happened at the weekend or an experience that you've had is, is also storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that's a very good model for students themselves because it's the kind of story that they might do themselves, talk about what they did at the weekend or talk about a holiday they've had or a place that they like very much or a person they admire, this kind of thing. So these kind of stories, um, I think it's great if teachers can model those kind of stories as well as, um, uh, you know, traditional stories, folk stories, that kind of thing as well. Right. And um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I, I think another point. I mean, when I when I wrote the book Stories Alive, I try I, what, one thing I tried to do was to incorporate traditional Palestinian stories into right. the material. So we've got stories like um, Jebena, which is a traditional Palestinian story about uh, it's kind of like a Cinderella story, mm -hmm. and we've got stories about. Um, a woman who gave birth to a cooking pot, for instance, which is a, another traditional Palestinian story. So I think it's really important to use stories from the culture that you are working in as well, yes. so that it's not, you're not imposing kind of British culture or mm. culture of any other country onto, onto the learners, but, but it, uh, celebrating the culture of the, of the class as well.
Of course, yes. Um, I would imagine it's very empowering as well for learners to be able to um, to be able to use English, for example, to tell their own folk stories or stories that are important yeah. to them or yeah, in the culture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, if yeah, I was sure. to put spot nick um and ask you to give me or to explain an activity a storytelling activity that uses one of these stories for example um Mm -hmm. could you give us a brief outline of what what you would ask ask well uh, the learners to do yeah well if it's okay i wanted to talk about um not just storytelling i wanted to talk about another way in which sure an activity that I've done, um, something we've done very recently, actually, to kind of encourage um, creativity and to move away from a focus on accuracy. So Wonderful. recently, we, um, I think one of the things about creativity is that it's hard to be creative without any rules. I think that rules are a way of pushing creativity. Right. So we recently, in the Hands Up Project, we recently ran a poetry competition mm-hmm. for young people anywhere in the world. They had to be under 16, and they had to write a poem that was 50 words or less, mm-hmm. and it had to be inspired by a painting And this was a painting that was actually done by a 14-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl in Gaza. Mm -hmm. And one of the first times I went to Gaza, she handed me this painting. I was about to leave. And I said, Leila, that's a beautiful painting. It was a painting of a girl sitting on a branch looking at the moon. Mm. And um, I said, wow, that's amazing. You want to keep that and show it to your grandchildren? And she said, no, no, I want you to have it. I want you to take it back. Oh, to wow. Britain and put it on your wall. So I did. And then uh, a few years later, we decided to to launch this competition. And we thought it'd be a good idea to ask young people to write a 50-word poem based on or inspired by this painting. And we had loads of entries from around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I just wanted to, re- if I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to yeah, read out one of those poems. Yes, please. So this well, is by um, this is by a fourteen-year-old girl called Amal Hashem, and she's in Gaza. Mm-hmm. And this is the poem: Moon, tell me, oh moon, tell me truth. Where's my place to be? I'm surrounded by people I can't even see. I'm stuck into darkness with nobody but you. No one else can hear me when I'm calling out low. Oh, moon, won't you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Now, I really love that poem. I mean, there were about 60 poems submitted, and many of them are very, very beautiful. But I think it's interesting that A poem like that, I mean, it contains inaccuracies. So, for instance, O moon, tell me truth. It doesn't say, tell me the truth. It says Mm -hmm. things like, I'm stuck into darkness, not I'm stuck in the darkness. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck into darkness. But I think 
isn't it interesting that if that poem, if those lines were accurate in terms of the grammatical rules, yeah. it wouldn't be so poetic. So if we said, oh, moon, tell me the truth, for me, that doesn't sound, that's not nowhere near as It doesn't as sound as, as, yeah. Yeah, it's not so poetic, is it? Oh, moon, mm. tell me truth. And similarly with the line, I'm stuck into darkness. Mm. I'm stuck into darkness. It's something... It's almost like it's creating it's creating something new. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about encouraging second language learners to write poems. Now, we could, as the teacher, we could get our red pen out and say, oh, you've made a, this mistake and you've made this mistake here. Mm -hmm. um, but that would obviously be very negative for the learner. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... It's very empowering. You mentioned the word empowering earlier. I mean, mm -hmm. it's very empowering for the learner to feel that they can actually be creative with language and they can give something to the language by using language in new ways. We know what the person means by that line. We mm -hmm. understand what the person means. And in fact, they've created a new meaning by, by not following the rules of English. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. it's really it's a great activity as well. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know how long can I talk about this. I mean, there's other things as well. Of course, one of the things yeah, we do, do in the hands up, one of the things we do in the hands up project is is encourage people to make their own plays. Mm -hmm. um, yes, which is, I mean, I would say that is. A kind of that's got everything in terms of language learning um and that isn't an idea that i that i develop myself i mean no no idea really comes comes from me all my ideas i've stolen from other people um and i learned this idea from a wonderful teacher in nepal called gobinda puri mm -hmm. who worked with big classes of students in nepal and what he did was he he got his students to work in groups and create plays in English about social issues. Mm -hmm. He would correct them. He would support them in, in uh, getting the lines right, help them with the pronunciation, and eventually they'd work towards a performance of the play, with their, which they'd do in front of their peers, but also possibly in front of parents or the whole school. And I think in terms of, it's a very creative activity, it involves, and it's also a very learner-centered activity. Mm -hmm. It involves using the ideas of the learners, embracing the ideas of the learners, encouraging them to come up with creative ideas. And, um, but it also has a lot of scope for the kind of nitty gritty of language learning, you know, looking mm -hmm. at how do you pronounce that word accurately so that people can understand you? How are you going to say that so that it has appropriate meaning? Um, you yeah. know, so things like intonation can come into that a lot as well. Of course. And of course, we all know, experienced teachers, a lot of practice is necessary in order to learn a language. And drama, and particularly creating and performing plays, provides masses and masses of language learning practice 
in order to learn the lines and, and, and eventually lead to performance. So it's a very yeah. rich activity. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's one of the, the great things about asking students to, for example, write a script and then um, working through with helping them to pronounce the words, to mm. to learn the words, to learn the lines, to actually perform it, to rehearse it, and then to perform it um, eventually, uh, whether it's live or recorded. I think it's a wonderful activity, isn't it? Because they're getting so much more practice yeah. of the same kind of language than they would otherwise have. Exactly, exactly. And it's a really nice way of linking written and spoken language as well mm. thinking um because you know you first have to write and then turn that into spoken language um so mm, very yeah, rich activity yeah do you find that when when the students for example write their scripts it's a little stilted it's a little bit like in a formal written language and you have to work with them to to turn it into more sort of flowing yeah. conversational language yeah definitely and sometimes i mean sometimes they realize that themselves mm. um because they, once they, they try start out. trying to say it they realize all oh, this doesn't quite sound right as a as spoken language um there's a fantastic teacher in gaza called hanin jadala mm -hmm. and she's developed a really beautiful learner-centered framework for getting students to create plays, which is kind of uh, a development of this idea, where what she does is she gets students to write stories um, for homework. They just write a story in English, any story, and then they work in groups and they come together and they look at each other's work and then they decide between them which of the stories they're going to convert into a play so oh. i really like that because it 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 everyone has an opportunity to mm. create something and as a group they decide which story they want to convert into a play and it does that it includes that really important technique i think of kind of reframing things you know mm. you create something in one format and then, you know, a written text, and then you convert it into a dialogue. How mm -hmm. are you going to change the language when you're going to, if you're going to, if it's going to be spoken, how will, how will things change? And I think those kind of activities are very rich. Um, it'll, it'll help teach, uh, sorry, students, learners actually become good at noticing the differences between, yeah. Uh, formal informal language conversation etc as well they kind of develop that kind of skill don't they yeah yeah and i think it's also a, a, a something yeah that's a very good point and it, it's also i think it's something about kind of supporting each other as a group yeah you know choosing a story from the group how are you going to it's a very democratic process to choose one story and to convert it into a play um, and it's something that can be done with very large classes. I mean, often the classes in, in Gaza are very big. Um, you know, it could be up to 50 students in a class. Mm -hmm. So if we have activities like that, um, where students are empowered to make decisions about 
what's going to be a play um, that can work in a large class too. So with a large class, you obviously wouldn't have all of the students with roles, would you? So they, yeah. what kind of, they would be supporting the, the play, would they? Yeah, so um, that's another thing that needs to be, I mean, if you've got students working in, say, groups of six, mm. working on a play, um, there may be some people who don't want to act, Yeah, which is fine. They may be. They may want to be more take a more active role in the writing of the script. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, in my experience, it's quite nice to try to involve as many people as possible in the actual performance. Because I think sometimes drama has a little bit of a bad name because people think of it as being either, you know, Shakespeare. You've got to be brilliant at producing fine language and you know you've got to be very good at English and you've got to be an extrovert and I think it doesn't always have to be like that I mean if if Mm -hmm. we've got a class of 50 students and we've got eight different groups working on a play on eight different plays and then they're just performing in front of each other um, it's not so challenging Mm -hmm. Um, and if they've got plenty of time to rehearse and to support each other, it can be a very empowering process for students to do to do that kind of thing. Oh, definitely. In um, in Uruguay, actually, where we you know the remote teaching of the primary students in in Uruguay that I was involved in, they've had for a number of years now a Shakespeare festival. And it isn't yeah. that they perform Shakespeare, but they take sort of the basic plots of Shakespeare and turn them into, they write their own sort of versions of it and turn them into yeah. little plays which they can perform remotely, which uh, is quite motivating. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of accessing um, literature, isn't it? To make your yeah. own version. That sounds like a brilliant idea. You know, make your own version of uh, King Lear or something. Um, actually, that is something I... First time I went to Gaza, I saw a performance of King Lear, very wow. simple version of King Lear performed by 14-year-old girls um, at the conference. Wow, uh, sounds wonderful. So, yeah, yeah. So, so Nick, if, I, if we turn to the Hansa project, which you founded in 2015, I think, and this has mm. developed into a project that has given many children in very difficult circumstances opportunities for learning and to to an expression and creativity that they otherwise would never have had i'd love to hear more about this initiative how you came to found it what what was it about what you saw when you went to palestine that palestine that actually made you think this is something i can help with yeah well it really started um one of the early trips to palestine um working with teachers and doing storytelling with teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to, I realised, I mean, in a place like Gaza, we're talking about constraints and that leading mm-hmm. to creativity. I mean, Gaza is a place which has a lot of constraints on the people living there. It's a very mm-hmm. densely populated, one of the most densely populated places on earth. It's 
two million people in a very small space, smaller than the Isle of Wight, very small piece mm. of land. So most people have never left and they've never had um, opportunities to use English. And I and they've never certainly met most people have never met anyone from another country. Mm -hmm. And I thought it might be a good idea to kind of try out this storytelling online. Yeah. So in those days, no one had ever heard of Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, but we started using Zoom early on. I think we were one of the first people to use it. Um, we used it because it had the recording facility. Right. And because you could screen share and webcam share at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we started using Zoom and I just connected to a group of kids in a library in Gaza. And I just used to tell them stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I was using stories from the Stories Alive material. Um, and I kind of and I thought that it would be something that I would do alongside my regular job. At that time, I was working at Marjon University training. Yeah. doing teach, teacher training and trainer training. But it didn't quite work out like that because <laughs> suddenly there were other groups that wanted to do it as well. Um, mm -hmm. And there were, other, there were other groups in Palestine that wanted to do it. And we also started working with the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan for Syrian mm -hmm. refugees. And... Also, there were people around the world who got in touch with me and said, hey, I've heard about what you're doing. I'd really like to be a volunteer. We had early on, we had Sarah was one of our first volunteers in mm -hmm. Spain. We also had Alex in Russia. Uh, we had Paul in the UK. And we had a few people. And then it's just grown. I mean, now we've got volunteers in something like 30 different countries around the world. Um, and the project changed as well in that it it stopped being so much about the remote volunteer telling stories and more about supporting the kids in telling their own stories um, mm -hmm. and doing other things. I mean, we now do a number of different things. I mean, we still do tell stories online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um and something I want to emphasize is that I feel that we're different from many online teaching organizations in that we don't yeah. really teach. We try not to teach because the te the students have a teach they have a teacher already right who works with them um so it's kind of more like team teaching really what we're doing all we're doing mm -hmm. is we're supplying an opportunity for those students to hear somebody using English from another context and also for those students to interact with somebody who doesn't speak Arabic and somebody mm. who is very interested in their culture and their world. Um, so it's, it's, it's really a kind of team teaching thing. Um, so out of that, um, we now do, we do storytelling sessions. We do kind of intercultural link-ups as well. So we link up classes mm -hmm. in Palestine with classes in Indonesia, Argentina, Malaysia, all over the world. And we do things like intercultural show and tell. Um, we play lots of fun games like 
beat the teacher, students versus teachers, um, <clears throat> lots of different things like that. And we've also um, developed this form of theatre, um, which we call remote theatre. Um, Could you tell us more about that? Does that sound... It is... I've seen part of uh, what you've been doing with that, some example plays, etc. but I'd love to know how that developed. What, what made you think yeah. about how, making that work and what kind of... Because I imagine there are quite a few constraints about it from it being remote. How do you get around those? Certainly, yeah. Well, it, it kind of started from... Um, the first time I actually went to Gaza was in 2017. So I've been to mm -hmm. Palestine lots of times before that, but it's very difficult to get into Gaza. And myself and Scott Thornbury, who's a Hands Up Project trustee, we went mm -hmm. to Gaza for the first time, 2017. We were invited to a conference. And it was an incredible conference for many ways, um, for many reasons. Um, one of them was that it was full of kids. So there were about 200 English teachers there, but there were at least 50 kids there as well. <laughs> so that was partly, I think, because teachers had brought the kids along. Right. And also um, because they were going to do some performances. So it was really nice to start the conference. I've already mentioned the, the, the performance of King Lear, the shortened yeah. version of King Lear. But there was also another performance of a play that was created by the students. The whole theme of it and the story was created by the students. So as me and Scott were on our way back to Jerusalem from Gaza, we, we started just talking about the idea of putting on a competition to mm -hmm. ask kids to write a play, write and perform a play. So that's how the kind of idea for the... Um, theatre competition started mm -hmm. now we had about um, I think we had about 80 entries the first year and the rules were that they had to make a play that was five minutes long mm -hmm. uh, maximum five actors that was it basically right and it was really interesting talking about things coming from rules now, the idea of remote theatre was basically born by the winner that was created by the winner of the competition. So I didn't, I didn't make any rules about um, saying it had to be done in one take or it had to be uh, done through Zoom. But the winning play was a wonderful play called Inner Thoughts. It was about mm. sort of teenagers angst the, the 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 concerns that teenagers have about feeling that everyone is better than them you know a very universal theme right. but the way that this was done by a very creative teacher amal mujeres who worked with her students to help them to create this play to perform it but when she submitted the play she actually submitted it through zoom and it was just done in one take Mm -hmm. um, and I said to Amal, you didn't actually have to do that. It could have been done, you know, you could edit it or whatever afterwards. 
Um, but it was interesting. She won the competition. And I think it was that was how remote theatre started. So the next year we ran the competition, mm-hmm. we had about 180 entries. And wow. that year we made it a rule that they had to do it through Zoom and they had to do it in one take. So they had to... No, actually, we didn't say they had to do it through Zoom, but it had to be possible to perform it through Zoom in one right. take. Um, and there was no editing allowed whatsoever, so they couldn't edit it. And if we think about it for language learning purposes, that is much better than of course. enabling editing because it was, I mean... We had some brilliant plays the first year that we ran the competition, but some of them had been heavily edited and we did wonder whether all the kids could actually speak English because it could be that they just practised a particular line over and over again, filmed it, and then cut it together with lots of other bits. And I think that did happen in some cases. Yeah. So in terms of language learning, much better to do it in one take. Sorry. Of course. No, I was just yeah. going to say it's it's also it puts the focus on the actual language if it's one taken exactly. away from the kind of technical editing skills or yeah. other fancy yeah. bits that you might want to sort of cut in otherwise, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And also it meant that the plays could be performed remotely. Hmm. So many of those plays from that first year, the second year, sorry, Um, You know, they were performed. There's a big uh, literature festival down here where I live called the Way With Words Festival. Mm. So we had three plays from the second year of the competition that were performed live to a big audience in the Great Hall in Dartington. Wow. And, you know, five-minute plays performed live from Gaza. Um and it's 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 very it's very beautiful to see that and very that's very special um, yeah and again very yeah. empowering for the for the kids actually performing the plays exactly yeah to yeah. be part of that festival wow that's wonderful so the competition keeps changing the rules keep changing we keep changing the rules we keep making it <laughs> harder and harder to participate um, and so. One year, I mean, when COVID happened, um, I mean, we were doing all this long before COVID, Mm. you know, the remote performances of things. Um, Mm. And of course, when COVID struck, suddenly kids couldn't do remote theatre in the way that they'd been doing it before because they weren't allowed to get together in the same room. So schools were closed. So we did think at the beginning, okay, well, maybe we'll have to cancel the competition this year. We won't be able to run it. But little did we know that the resilience and the creativity of young people and teachers in Palestine would win through. And so a new form of remote theatre was developed, which we we came to call lockdown theatre. So this meant one student per camera. So one student per camera. Um, uh, so that's, this meant, you know, this is a whole new genre of remote theatre because you can do things like you turn off your camera, turn on, enter the stage by turning on or turning off your camera. Um, right. You could have things like voices off. 
So cameras off and people speaking without seeing them. So there's lots of wow. new techniques that were born from that. And then what, another very creative teacher in Palestine um, called Hannah Mansour, when we mm-hmm. ran the competition, we were expecting it just to be um, students from Palestine that entered. Mm-hmm. But she actually made a play with students in Argentina, Spain, Romania and Gaza, all working together live on the same play. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Um, Very creative. So we thought, yeah. So we thought, wow, that's a great idea. Next year, we'll nick that and and we'll make it a rule. So (laughs) um, this year, when we run the competition, we've made it a requirement. Well, this year and last year, actually, we made it a requirement Mm -hmm. that there has to be two or three, one, two or three students in Palestine working together with one, two or three students in one other country in the world. And so, you know, and and they had to perform the play together live, Mm -hmm. rehearse it live. And of course, in terms of language learning, this is even richer because these are students whose first language isn't English. In order to communicate with each other and with the teachers in both contexts, they're going to have to use English. So it's really like the communicative approach coming into play um, in a very motivating way. Um, So this year we had entries from students working in Palestine Mm -hmm. with students in Ecuador, Argentina, Malaysia, Pakistan, India, Bosnia, Serbia, Greece, Germany, Italy, Venezuela, and even Guinea-Bissau. Um, which is, you know, a a remote village from Guinea-Bissau, which has just had a teacher managed to get an internet connection on his phone. And he was just doing it from his phone uh, with the kids. And they performed a play called Stone Soup um, with three girls in Gaza. Wow, that's amazing. So apart from the intercultural aspect, which has got to be very enriching you also have all of the coordination in english to actually get the play you know written rehearsed performed and and all of that as well which is quite a logistical feat yes it is well actually i I, we've uh, something i didn't mention is we've moved away from um the last two years we haven't asked students to write plays we've asked them to re perform because we thought it'd be a bit much to get them to write it and to do it like that I mean uh, all remotely so um, for this year's competition um, I wrote a book which is published by the Hands Up Project called Doing Remote Theatre mm-hmm. so this mm-hmm. is a kind of guide for remote theatre and we asked lots of well-known people in the field of ELT and um, art, uh, theatre and literature to write plays Mm. that could be performed remotely Mm -hmm. so we've got plays there written by david crystal carol reed jane willis scott thornbury adrian underhill um Mm. also people from the world of theater like benjamin zephaniah Mm -hmm. um and they've written these plays specially to be performed remotely and then we asked the the different groups around the world to choose a play 
from there to rework as a piece of intercultural remote theatre. So sometimes, sometimes they've adapted the script quite heavily. They're, they can do that. But the starting point is a script that's already there. Right. Again, it yeah. makes it uh, more about the speaking and more about the actual performing and communication aspect of it, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. makes it, they can do it with less time if they had to develop their own script, then that would be um, quite, quite extraordinary um, and quite an extraordinary yeah. amount of time they'd need to, to invest in it, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. But we do have, I mean, one of the things we're hoping to do more of um, next semester after the summer break is we want to go back to another technique that we've developed, which is called mm. Our Story, Your Story. So um, we've tried this out in a, in a number of different contexts, but the people who've really uh, developed this idea is um, Hanin Jadala in, in Gaza, who I've mentioned before, mm. but also a teacher in Argentina called uh, Maria Teresa Continanza. And mm -hmm. what they've done is they, they had this beautiful project where the students in Gaza would write personal stories. Yeah. It could be things, funny things that have happened to them, you know, unusual things that have happened to them. They, they wrote them down as stories. And the, the kids in Argentina did the same. And then the teachers organized for the written stories to be sent to each other. I mean, obviously, just taking a photo of it and um, mess messaged it or emailed it across. And then the kids in Argentina had to choose one of the stories and make a remote performance out of it hmm. and vice versa. So the kids in Gaza did the same with the Argentinian stories. And it's really, really interesting. And then they perform them back to the original authors through Zoom. And it's really interesting because there was a story, for instance, that was written by the um, Argentinians about having a party and the police arriving because um, they were making too much noise in the house <laughs> and being very scared. And then, you know, to see that re-performed by kids in another country and a very different country like such as Gaza it's a really interesting well one it's very empowering for the original author to see their story re-performed by someone I can imagine um, and it's it's just such a rich way of uh, intercultural learning to happen to understand you know, to, I think you can really understand or begin to understand a culture by uh, trying to perform their stories. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really interesting. Yeah. And do they? Do you encourage them to adapt it and change some of the cultural elements, or or to actually just interpret it as it, it's been written? It just happens naturally, I think. Mm -hmm. That, that does. I mean, I think both things happen. In one way, they try to be as true to the story as they can, to, as mm -hmm. true to the original story. So they might try and put Palestinian music into it or something. Okay. But at the same time, that process of naturally 
converting it to your own context happens anyway. Um, you know, so it's it's this it, it kind of comes from a, a, a theatre technique called playback theatre, right? Um, which I don't know if you've if you've come across. Do you, uh, I haven't. I haven't. No. So it's a it's a it's a form of theatre that um, it's very popular in Scandinavia and also also in the UK. But it's a kind of theatre mm-hmm. where you go and uh, as the audience uh, you go and you might tell a story. The the actors will invite you to tell a story about something that's happened to you. Mm-hmm. And then the the actors will spontaneously perform your story back to you. Oh, wonderful. And it's a sort of, it's very funny. Sometimes it can be very funny. Sometimes it can be very tragic. But the interesting thing about it is you see somebody else's perspective on what you've done. So it's a kind, there is something therapeutic about that. There's something empowering and something, maybe it's a way to address a problem if you can see somebody else's interpretation of your problem. Um, so it's, yeah. So that isn't what you do, though, with it in a, in a way. It's because the, the students or the learners and the teachers are taking a written script and just performing yeah. it and maybe adapting it. Exactly. But... Yeah. We work with the written script because I think, I think there are some advantages in, in slowing down the process a little bit and working with yeah. a written script. It's quite hard to, you've got to be pretty, a pretty good actor to spontaneously reperform something. Improvise story. and reperform yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely seek, seek out that type of theater though. It sounds like it's, mm. it's a really fun thing to watch yeah yeah that's I'm great i'm sure there must so, be a um, mexico uh, playback theater in mexico city there must be some yeah. version of that i would imagine i'm yeah. sure i'm i'm sure there is i just not i haven't been to the theater much here so i need to uh start going i think but um nick i think i'm right in saying that you have also organized an annual conference in the uk and have done for a few years now. Yeah. Is, yeah, right. is that related to the remote theatre as well, or the, does the remote theatre play part in that? It does, yeah. Um, we always have a conference. We normally have it straight after the IATEFL conference, mm-hmm. just so that we can kind of steal steal the IATEFL audience uh, for our conference. Good idea, good idea. Um, in the same place, or...? Yeah, so so this year it was in Harrogate. Right. Um, it was actually in a Quaker meeting house in Harrogate, which is a really lovely venue to mm. to have our conference. So it's quite a small conference. We had about hundred less than 100 people, I think, at the conference. That's still a fair number of people. Yeah. Um, and this we have a different theme each year. Mm-hmm. This year, the theme was Learner Voices. Right. So we started the conference actually this year, the night before, with some live plays performed from Gaza Mm. to everyone who wanted to come the night before. Um, And then a discussion with the actors afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then we had... um, We announced... We've had lots of poetry reading 
mm-hmm. some of the poems that were submitted for the competition. Oh, yeah. Um, we had Harry Kuchakucha there. We had Jane Willis there. We had Adrian Underhill. Uh, we had Hanin Jadala there. Ashraf Kuhail, who is our mm-hmm. scholarship winner this year. We we run a IATEFL scholarship every year mm-hmm. for a, hands, a person who's been involved in Hands Up from Palestine to come to the IATEFL conference and also our conference. Um, we also presented the really exciting results that we've just got of our research. So we've been researching the impact on motivation and Mm -hmm. attitudes towards English of doing online link-ups. And this is with large classes in Gaza, 50 students in a class. Wow. We've been looking at how just over quite a short period of time, just eight classes once a week for eight weeks, linking to a remote Mm. volunteer for 40 minute for a 40 minute class out of five 40 minutes classes mm-hmm. I just wanted to see whether that had any whether there was any change in their confidence and in their motivation to to study English and so we we're presenting the results of that and that's very exciting because the results are, are fantastic it really shows that um there is an improvement, a big improvement. Wonderful. And not just for the ones who are, I mean, obviously in a class of 50 students, not everyone is going to have the chance to come up and interact with the remote volunteer. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the change in motivation was across the board. Even those students who not who... had any opportunity to interact. Right. But just Interesting. Just, it's interesting, just just the fact that they were in the class improved their how, motivation. How did you measure that, Nick? Was it so? How did you? Was it through observation? No, it's through um, a questionnaire that was done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the study and at the end, um, and we did it through. Um, a research organization in Birmingham who mm-hmm. kind of analyzed all the, uh, you know, told us how to do it. And because uh, I'm, I'm not really very familiar with doing research, but mm-hmm. the good thing about it, we did a, a what's called a, um, what's it called? A uh, randomized control trial. Mm-hmm. We actually mm-hmm. had quite large numbers. So we had 200 students in the um, experimental group and 200 in the control group. And everything was the same. So it's the same teacher, same course book, same numbers of hours of English, same school. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that was different was that in the experimental group, they linked once a week to a remote volunteer. Um, And that was to do kind of intercultural activities and that kind of thing. Um, Trying to bring the course book to life really mm-hmm. that was the that was sort of focus of it trying to interculturalize the course book so and those who were part of that their motivation was was increased because of it yeah i guess yeah. was the result yeah. that's wonderful yeah yeah so i think there'll be other contexts in the world i mean in some ways gaza is quite extreme in the mm-hmm. in the situation because 
people have been through wars, etc. But there are mm. many contexts in the world where people don't have the opportunity to to really use their English naturally. So yeah. I, think I mean, I would imagine this is something that most groups of language learners in schools could take advantage of and, and set up to have yeah. that intercultural aspect of, of it. Yeah. If someone was, well, I mean, if fact, someone wanted to do that, Nick, how would they? What would you recommend? How would they get it off the ground? If they wanted to do intercultural link-ups with somebody, well, I mean, yeah, yeah I in mean, particular with with theatre or drama or storytelling. Well, they could get in touch with us. Um, you course. know, send us an email, and we can we can link people up with. Uh, with students in Palestine, if somebody wants to do an intercultural link up with a group in, in Palestine, we can we can facilitate that. Um, I mean, it's interesting. My sister is a, a French teacher in the UK, French and Spanish. And when I told her about it, she said, gosh, I'd really like to do that with my students because, OK, England, British schools are much have much more resources and the students have a lot more opportunities to travel than they do somewhere like Gaza. But mm -hmm. still those students have, lots of students have very rare, uh, have had few opportunities to really use the French that they're learning. So I think even in a context like the UK, it could be useful. Um, yeah, so I mean, if people want to do that kind of thing, it's it's relatively simple to, to mm -hmm. set up, I would imagine, if, if, if you've got the right contacts, if you can contact somebody in, in, a, in another country. Yeah. And... That's the important thing, isn't it, too? Yeah. And then, of course, you have your the book that you mentioned before that has plays. That would be good. And how to actually to do the theatre, that would be a good resource as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's available on our website, Doing Remote Theatre, available on the Hands Up website. We've also got books of plays. When, when we used to run the competition and we asked young people in Palestine to create their own plays, we also mm -hmm. publish a book of 30 of the best plays. We publish a book of those. So those books are also available on our website. And it's really interesting because we've had different versions of those plays created by learners of English in other parts of the world. So a few years ago, I was in Peru speaking at a conference and talking about the Hands Up Project and somebody bought a book. One of the teachers bought a book. And a couple of months later, she said, I want, I've got something to show you. And she sent me videos of her students performing plays that were originally created by young people in Palestine. And this is adult learners of English. Um, we've also had um, students at University of Exeter performing plays that were originally created by learners in Palestine. Um, you know, so we've got lots of different versions around the world. And I think in a way that's the ultimate um, empowering activity for students to see their own play re-performed by somebody else. I would love to hear now, Nick, about 
what you what the future holds, um, either for hands up or for yourself, or what what kind of plans have you got for the future? Well, we, as I said, we're really excited about the research that we've mm-hmm. just got. So we want to really develop that side of things in hands up. We want to start working more with large classes whole classes, Mm. classes that are working with the curriculum. I mean, it's one thing to be able to do link-ups with small groups of motivated learners who love English and who are good at English, but it's another thing to be able to do it with the whole class, with students who who don't necessarily love English and who um, aren't that able to communicate that well so that's that's the direction we want to go in I mean it's been great to do remote theatre um, in terms of making connections for young people in Palestine yeah but I think we've done it a lot now and I think our well, we're not going to we're not going to stop doing it but I think our emphasis is going to be more moving towards we want to become more mainstream I suppose we, we would like it mm-hmm. if if all if every school in Palestine had the opportunity to do an intercultural link up with a remote volunteer somewhere, how many um, how many schools do you do you reach at the moment, and what kind of percentage of the schools in Palestine are you able to really, interact with? Really hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, in the time of COVID, we were pretty much accessing. Everyone, because we started doing, wow. we start, we moved all our operations over to Facebook Live. Right. So all the schools were closed, and we were doing storytelling sessions on Facebook. And there were thousands and thousands of people who have seen those um, hmm. videos live, and also seen the recordings later. Um, and we were actually asked by UNRWA. UNRWA is the United Nations Relief and Work Agency who mm-hmm. provide education to. Palestine's refugee community. Mm-hmm. Um, we were asked by them to to do curriculum based sessions on on Facebook. Oh wow! Um, which we did as a kind of team teaching thing. So we did it with a Palestinian teacher right. and a remote volunteer um, presenting live on Facebook. And um, you know that had its own. Obviously, that's not quite the same as doing it through Zoom. Mm-hmm. because you couldn't see the learners. All the learners could yeah. do was write comments in the chat. So less interaction, basically. Yeah, but the in chat, a way, but... yeah. I mean, there were some, that's a disadvantage, but it was also, there were some advantages, I think, in it, in that more people could access the sessions. Right, they could watch so the recording later. In Zoom, and it also, would have been limited, the amount of people. Yeah. And it was exactly. closed, whereas Facebook, yeah. it was kind of open and unlimited. Yeah. And also people could do it from their own homes where they mm. often, you know, with a mobile phone, they've often got a, a better internet connection on a mobile phone than they ha- than they would have in the schools. I mean, this has right. always been the problem. Of course. Of working in a place like Gaza, very weak internet connection. Sometimes it's just yeah. been impossible to do link-ups. Um. So that's one thing we're going to do. We're going to be running 
a series of um, in the summer when schools are closed, we we try to um, have a series of uh, kind of summer fun activities. So we're going to do a few Facebook Live events. Mm-hmm. Um, we've teamed up with a local artist called Ken Maharaja, mm-hmm. who is going to be um, doing a, a session with story and art. So he's going to be working Wonderful. with a storyteller, um, helping kids to draw pictures that come from the story. And, um, you know, that's, that's an interesting I think it's going to be called every picture tells a story or something like that um and then there's going to be i mean one of the things that we really love doing is this activity we call it uh, students versus teacher hmm. so we're going to be having we use that to focus on different areas of the curriculum other than english so we might ask students to prepare questions about chemistry or biology or uh, geography or something, a different area of the curriculum, mm-hmm. um, but to prepare them in English and then test the teachers that are in the room, um, in this case, <laughs> the remote volunteers. So they get a point if we get it wrong and we get a point if we get it right. Oh, that's a really lose. good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine yeah. I can imagine the students preparing very difficult questions for that but that's yeah, wonderful because yeah. it means that they're doing the research to actually exactly look for hard questions that they think teachers yeah. wouldn't be able to know exactly yeah. Right. yeah wonderful yeah 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 um, i've forgotten what the question was now oh just oh, it? Uh, it was just about any future projects which you talked about um, yeah for oh, yourself yeah. and or the mm. hands of project So I think um, I think you probably answered that. I think I have. Wonderful. I think I have. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I'm going to draw things to a close. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and spending uh, time talking to me and sharing what you you know your your educational journey personally and with what's led to you working with the Hands Up project starting that and doing all that wonderful work in Palestine and, and in other places as well. It's been fascinating talking to you and I wish you all the best for the future with this. Thank you, Graham. It's been a real pleasure to be here. And um, if I can just say, if anybody is interested in getting involved in what we do, please mm. send us an email to info at handsupproject.org. If you'd like to link up a class with a class in Palestine for intercultural exchange, if you'd like to become a remote volunteer for us, we're always looking for storytellers or just people in different contexts to link to a class in Palestine. Um, Please do get in touch with us. Um, And especially if you'd like to uh, get hold of one of our books and get your learners of English to perform a play originally created by young people in Palestine that would also be wonderful wonderful great thank you very much Nick I presume you're not going for another swim now no I am going to a barbecue oh wonderful we'll have a fantastic yeah, time to a friend of mine's house who's doing a barbecue so 
That's great. Oh, enjoy the barbecue. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. And thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Graham. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So that brings us to the end of today's Twilight Show, everybody. Many thanks to today's special guest, Nick Bilbra, and all of you who joined us live. And thank you to anyone also who's listening back to the podcast recording as well. It's That's all for me. Uh, sorry, that's it from me. And there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics with wonderful guests. So please listen in live or to the recordings of those shows as well. I hope you will join me again next week at the same time. And bye for now. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.